Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. Colossians chapter 2 here. We're going to begin reading here verse number 20. Scripture says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world... Why, as you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. We've been looking uh, at here what these false teachers were teaching in this church at uh, Colossae. And we've already seen that they attacked the person and the work of Christ. Uh, They taught a worldly philosophy and a rules-based approach to God. Uh, As I mentioned, um, I I really don't like the... the, um, the reading that the ESV gives here about the, um, the elemental spirits of the world, I, I prefer the uh, NASB reading of the uh, elemental um, principles of the world there, you know, such as the ABCD approach to getting to God. And uh, we saw last week about this legalism that was being promoted and taught uh, in the church about uh, emphasizing certain food and drink uh, things or observing certain um, uh, festivals or abstaining from certain things. And in every instance, what we see Paul doing is he calls them back to looking at who Christ is. Because these believers had been uh, carried away, they'd been swept up into some false teaching, and their eyes and their, their focus was being drawn away from Christ... And Paul tries to bring their attention back to who Jesus is and exalts Jesus and lifts up Jesus uh, for who he was and is. And, uh, you know, in our text today, Paul is going to continue in what these false teachers were uh, emphasizing and teaching and promote, uh, promising really to these uh, believers here that if they practiced very hard and extreme measures on their body, they would be able to control the flesh. Now, ever since Adam and Eve sinned, this problem of controlling our our sinful desires has really plagued the human race. I mean, is there anybody in here that does not have a problem with their flesh whatsoever? We're all in the same boat, aren't we? It's good to be in good company, right? So we all have this problem with fleshly desires, fleshly lusts, and, uh, you know, it seems like when we think that we got a hold on it, boy, the flesh rears its ugly head and uh, begins to say, "Uh -uh, uh uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm still here, I'm still alive, Um, and we find ourselves uh, falling into sinful patterns of behavior uh, where we do not allow ourselves to be controlled by the Spirit, but we walk in the uh, flesh. And so, whether you call it the flesh, the old nature, or indwelling sin, we all wrestle with this strong internal temptations to do wrong. 
And so a very practical question is, well, how then can we keep the flesh in check? I mean, how are we going to be able to do battle against this, this sinful flesh, this sinful desires? How are we going to be able to make sure that we are walking in the Spirit and not being controlled by the sinful desires? Well, that's exactly what was happening here uh, in the church here at Colossae. These false teachers were promising these believers, saying, well, listen, if you just do the do-nots, uh, you will be able to have and uh, uh, keep your flesh in check and not fall into the sinful patterns. If you just discipline your body uh, severely and practice what he talks here about asceticism. And see, our struggle with the flesh is real. And men throughout the centuries have tried several methods to try to keep uh, their flesh in check. Um, Gandhi, uh, most of you have heard of him before, he was a Hindu, and in order to try to show his power over the flesh, he stopped having sexual relations with his wife, and then to prove his control over those fleshly urges, he slept in the same bed with naked, beautiful young women, but never touched them, to say, see, look, look, I got control over the flesh. Um, the Christian mystic Origen took literally the words of Jesus about becoming eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom and castrated himself. Christian monks have slept on boards, worn hair shirts, exposed themselves to extremes of heat and cold, lived on top of pillars, gone without bathing, fasted, remained celebrate in their attempts to deal with the flesh. And Paul says all that stuff really it does is of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And you know what's interesting that in our American culture that we live in, we don't really have uh, a people promoting saying, all right, listen, in order to control your fleshly desires, you need to make sure you don't do this, right? Uh, we live in an American culture today that really indulges itself in the sinful passions and in the flesh, right? If it feels good, what? Do it. And uh, that's really what we live in in our culture today. But the false teachers here in Colossae had a system of these rules which they imposed on their followers. They said, if you keep these rules, you will have victory over fleshly desires. Now, Paul even admits, he says, these rules, they, they, they have this appearance of wisdom, but he adds, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul is going to show us that this rules-based approach was not the answer to living a godly life nor having control over the flesh. And the main idea he stresses to us, and this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning, is godliness does not come through rule-keeping, but rather our identification with Christ. And I think that's something that all of us as believers in Jesus, uh, whether you've been a believer just for a little while or a long time, sometimes we can fall into the pattern of thinking, uh, I can become godly or I am godly because I do the A, B, C, D approach uh, of Christianity. And uh, that's not all of what Scripture teaches us. Uh, so let's take a look here at what uh, Scripture does teach us. So how godliness is not achieved. Now notice how Paul is helping these believers and us break down these unbiblical thoughts of trying to become godly or by keeping certain rules. And he poses a question to us. 
He says this, if, if, right, if you have died with Christ. Now, he's not asking us a question if, if we have not believed in Jesus or, 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 or not believed in Jesus. He's basically stating the obvious here. He's saying, all right, look, you guys are believers, and since you are believers, if you have believed in Jesus, if you have died in Christ, he says here, I want you to consider the implications of what that means. See, we see Paul will do the same thing uh, in actually chapter 3, verse number 1, with that same statement. If then you have been raised with Christ, there's the death, there's the resurrection, right? Um, he wants us to consider these things. If you have been raised up with Christ, if you have died with Christ, and if you have been raised with Christ, uh, they focus on this truth as believers that we are identified with Christ, not only in his death, but also in his resurrection. And so Paul is asking this rhetorical question, if you truly died with Christ and were raised up with him, why are you going back to all that rule-keeping to try to live a godly life? Uh, why are you going back to this Old Testament law, or even worse, to man-made laws added to that law? You see, at the heart of this is what Paul says, that these regulations and laws that are rooted, they are rooted in human precepts and teachings. Notice verse number 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now take note of that word asceticism there. We've seen that word before, if you can remember. Uh, last week, Paul used it to describe the self-abasement uh, that these uh, uh, false teachers were, were trying to promote, but really it was a false humility. Um, and he's saying they would, they would try to promote this to show how godly that they really were. Uh, Jesus dealt with the same type of thing with the Pharisees. Uh, people would, he said, you know, if you're going to go fasting, don't walk around like the Pharisees, you know. What's wrong? Oh, nothing. Just haven't been eaten for a few days. I'm trying to be godly. You know, I mean, that's, that's the whole idea there. And so it was a false humility. And Paul talks about this asceticism here, this self-abasement. And Paul is using it to describe what these false teachers, these legalists were promoting, which was this self-made religion. Now let's look a little bit more about that word asceticism. Webster's Dictionary defines it as relating to or having a strict and simple way of living that avoids physical pleasure. Another dictionary, Oxford American Dictionary, describes it as characterized by severe self-discipline and abstination from all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. So if asceticism is the self-denial, then isn't that really taught in the Bible, though? 
I mean, Paul said that he disciplined his body and made it his slave in 1 Corinthians 9.27. He instructed Timothy to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's in 2 Timothy 2.3. And we are to be disciplining uh, himself for the purpose of godliness in 1 Timothy 4.7. Self-control, in fact, is a fruit of the Spirit as found in Galatians 5.23. Jesus said that self-denial is an essential requirement for following him, to deny yourself and take up your cross, is what he said in Matthew 16, 24. So what's the difference here? I mean, Paul is definitely attacking asceticism, uh, these, uh, these false teachers, how they were using it. But what is the difference between what the false teachers were teaching and what biblical Christianity, what biblical discipline teaches us? Uh, And so if we're going to have a good understanding of how godliness is not achieved as what these false teachers were promoting and perhaps what we sometimes hold to, uh, we need to know the difference between asceticism and biblical discipline. And I'm going to give you a few of these so you can compare asceticism versus biblical discipline. Now, these are not original with me, but I found them to be very helpful. So let me give you just a little bit chart here about the difference here between asceticism and biblical discipline. Uh, First of all, asceticism sees the body as evil to be totally suppressed. But biblical discipline sees the body as good but needing control. Uh, If you can remember, as we looked at about a month ago, that these false teachers held to a form which was uh, false teaching, which was known as Gnosticism, which basically taught that Jesus did not come in the flesh. They saw the flesh as being evil. So they didn't believe that Jesus had a physical body. They believed that he was just some kind of mystical spirit. Um, And so asceticism, these false teachers taught that the body was evil uh, because it was fleshly. And they denied uh, what, what Scripture taught about this. And, you know, the Bible teaches that as Christians, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, We need to take care of our bodies. We need to be glorifying God with them. That's what uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 teaches us. Uh, To do this, we need to exercise self-control. So, you know, we need to exercise self-control over what we eat, what we drink, over harmful substances such as uh, tobacco and drugs, over sexual impulses, right? We need to have self-control. We need to be exercising self-control. But there is a basic difference in outlook towards the body between asceticism and biblical self-discipline. Here's the second thing. Asceticism teaches that submitting my body to my will. But biblical discipline teaches submitting my whole life to God's will. The uh, ascetic operates on willpower. His goal is to bring his body under the control of his mind or spirits, as in Gandhi's uh, 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 experiment there. Uh, but self, but Christian self-denial has a higher aim, namely to glorify Jesus Christ by bringing my whole being into submission to Him. It is to renounce my control of my life and to give that control willingly over to Christ. Here's the third thing. Asceticism labels all material things as evil, but biblical discipline properly uses and enjoys the things of this world. 
Ascetics cannot enjoy material possessions while as Christians. We must be generous. Uh, We must be ready to share, not fix our hope on material things as as believers in Jesus. Paul taught that uh, God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. That's 1 Timothy 6.17. Countering those who forbade marriage and advocating abstaining from simple foods, Paul said this in 1 Timothy 4.4, For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. And so Christians can rightly enjoy all of life under the Lordship of Christ, including a good meal, the beauty of God's creation, and really the sexual relationship within marriage. Ascetics teach that such pleasurable uh, type things are wrong. Um, Asceticism views joy and pleasure as wrong. Biblical discipline allows for the fullness of joy and pleasure in God. Ascetics tend to view having a good time as wrong or enjoying something as sinful. But Christians can legitimately enjoy God and all of his gracious gifts and blessings. Psalm 16.10 teaches us that. Uh, He wants us to uh, be joyful. He wants our joy to be full, as what uh, John 15.11 teaches us, and also Psalm 5.11. Asceticism is restrictive, but biblical discipline leads to greater freedom. Asceticism emphasizes all the things you cannot do. Don't handle this. Don't touch that. Don't taste that. It leads to a restrictive, repressive kind of life. But self-discipline is the key to liberty. The disciplined athlete is free to do things that I cannot do. Right? I mean, if a person's spending a lot of time and they've been disciplining their body and they've been training that body, they've been running, they've been exercising, it's no problem whatsoever for them to go and run in the Elkhart County 5K. Now, if you say, Mike, why don't you go run in the Elkhart County 5K? I'd say you probably have to call the ambulance. Because I have not disciplined my body in order to enjoy that freedom. Some of you are very skillful uh, at certain things. Uh, We have people that uh, can play the piano, they can play the guitar, Um, I can play the radio. Certain things that you can do and you can enjoy those things because you have disciplined yourself to do that. So there is a freedom in the disciplined Christian life and that freedom is in Christ. But the ascetic sees all those things as being restrictive. Here's another one. Asceticism is aimed at obeying man-made commands, but biblical discipline is aimed at obeying God's commands. Paul says that these false teachers were promoting these commandments and teachings of men, and he probably had in mind Jesus' words uh, when he denounced the Pharisees in Mark 7-7. But in vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Jesus went to tell them in Mark 7, 9, You nicely set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Ascetics add things to the Bible in an attempt to be spiritual. 
Uh, In the Ten Commandments, God said to keep the Sabbath holy. The Pharisees actually came up with over 600 detailed commands to specify what that meant on how to keep the Sabbath holy. That's adding to God's Word. As you know, Jesus frequently attacked the Pharisees for the ridiculous Sabbath rules. Uh, Biblical self-discipline distinguishes between what God commands and what men add to God's commands. Here's another one. Asceticism stems from the flesh and often leads to sin. Biblical discipline, however, stems from the Holy Spirit and is a means to true godliness. These Colossian uh, heretics were um, inflated without cause by their fleshly mind, as what uh, Paul says in uh, verse number 18. He says they were puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind. So puffed up. Uh, Colossians 2.23 here, that uh, these rules of these false teachers, even though they may seem to promote godliness, he says they are actually of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Many people, I think, uh, think that legalism is like on this far side over here, right? And they're like, like, okay, here's here's the legalists, They're, they're... They're adding all these extra rules. They're saying, in order for me to to follow God, I have to keep these rules. I have to do all this A, B, C, D approach to God. And then, on the other extreme over here, we have the the person who's licentious, the one who's just indulging in the flesh, and they're just enjoying whatever they want to do. But then, in somewhere right in between, we have grace. Okay? That is not what Scripture teaches legalism and licentiousness are the both on the same coin, okay? Grace is something entirely different. And God's Word tries to help us in that and understanding that we need to operate in the realm of grace, staying completely away from legalism and definitely staying away from licentiousness. We don't operate in the flesh, Both legalism and licentiousness are both results of what? The flesh. Grace is a result of what? The Spirit. And so we as believers in Christ, we are not to be doing what? Living in the flesh. What are we supposed to be doing? Walking in the Spirit. Okay? Totally different uh, from what some people try to think what what that means. Only the Holy Spirit living in us can make us holy by producing His fruit of self-control. That's Galatians 5.23. Here's another one. Asceticism is often motivated by gaining acceptance from God. Biblical discipline is motivated by assurance of being accepted by God. The ascetic is often trying to make himself acceptable to God through harsh treatment of his body. By this, he thinks he can atone for his sins or show enough remorse or penance to merit God's favor. But Christian self-discipline operates from the platform of knowing that God has accepted us in Jesus Christ on the basis of his grace. The motive behind self-discipline is not to gain his favor, 
but to be pleasing to the Lord because he loved me and died for me. You know, we just sang that song and uh, even Joellen uh, made reference about that, you know, the, the, the vilest offender who truly believes. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything that you could possibly ever do to make God love you more? None. Was there anything that you could possibly ever do that caused God to look at you and said, man, wow, look at that vile offender. Wow, I tell you what, it looks like they're trying really hard. They've been attending church. I think I'm going to extend salvation towards them. Nope. He loves us on the basis of his son, Jesus Christ, and that's it. And if we are trying to merit favor with God by thinking that we can do certain things or not do certain things, that God is going to love us more, we're, we're sadly mistaken. And we've been swept up into this thinking that, hey, I'm going to abstain from certain things or I'm going to try to do my hardest in this area and try to earn God's favor. It doesn't work that way. It's all of grace. It's things that we do not deserve. We don't deserve God's mercy. We do not deserve His grace. It's all because of Jesus Christ. So you say, well then, how godliness is not achieved? How, what, is, what were these ascetics really promoting here? Well, let me give you three things here of what I believe that these ascetics were, these false teachers were promoting with their ascetic rules and uh, teachings and things, Okay. Number one, ascetic rules deal with externals, not with the heart. Colossians 2.21 says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Do you see the connection Paul makes here? The do nots cannot stop the indulgence of the flesh. What is our problem? It's a heart problem. Every single one of us has a heart problem. Really, basically, what it comes down to, it's a worship problem. Okay? All of us have idols in our hearts. And those idols, we run after those idols. James says that we will do anything that we can, uh, even sin, in order to try to get those idols. That's why he says in, uh, uh, in the book of James, he says, where did all these fightings and contentions come from? He says, because of the evil passions in your heart. You cannot have, so what do you do? You murder, you kill, right? You do all this stuff because you're trying to get what you want. And so it's a heart problem. And so ascetic rules deal with the externals, not with the heart. These sorts of rules cannot deal with the problem that we all wrestle against, and that is the sinful desires that are in our hearts. You can keep all the rules, but your heart is still far from God. After Jesus confronted the Pharisees for their external religion, while their hearts were far from him, he says in Mark uh, 7, uh, verses 6 and 7, he talks about that, but then he goes on to point out that all sin begins in our heart. Listen to what he says in Mark 7, 20 through 23. He says, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. From within, out of the heart of man proceed the evil thoughts, the fornications, the thefts, the murders, the adulteries, the deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceits. 
sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness, all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. And so if we want a solution to our sin problem, it has to change our hearts. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 6.17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were entrusted to. And so being identified with Christ and His death and His resurrection through the new birth enables us to become obedient from the heart to God's righteous commands. Secondly, ascetic rules are the ideas of men, not the principles of God's word. Paul emphasizes this twice, in fact. First, he calls these rules the commandments and teachings of men. Then he calls it self-made religion. It's a type of worship which people make up for themselves apart from what God has revealed. It's a religion that takes some of God's commands, but it sets aside others, and it adds to what God has said by taking it farther than God intended. Asceticism takes God's word and adds it to it in an attempt to keep people from sinning. But it doesn't work. Uh, my wife and I, we were part of a church that really emphasized a lot of rules, a lot of things. And it, it was so strange. I mean, you would, you would see a lot of that to... You know, hope, hoping that by doing these certain things or not doing certain things that they were not going to indulge in the flesh. But really, all it was doing, it was puffing up their minds with sensuality. Um, it, and you would, you would see it. It, it, was, it was, look how holy we are, look how godly we are. But in reality, pride, arrogance, uh, all those sins were very evident uh, in their lives. So... You cannot change a person's life just by tacking on these rules. You can't change your life by tacking on these rules. It has to come from the heart. Um, here's the third thing. Ascetic rules appear to lead to godliness, but only feed pride and self-indulgence. Notice what Paul says here in Colossians 2.23, that these rules have the appearance of wisdom. An appearance of wisdom. In self-made religion and asceticism or self-abasement and this severe treatment of the body, but he adds, are of no value against fleshly indulgence. This kind of stuff deceives others, and I, I believe even uh, I've been deceived by this, and I'm sure maybe you've possibly even been, been deceived by this. This sort of rules-keeping approach to the Christian life only serves to feed the flesh because it does not deal with our pride. Pretty soon, those who keep rules begin to look down on those who are not. Um, and if we, we fall into this trap, pretty soon we'll start thinking, just like the Pharisee uh, in uh, Luke 18, 11 through 12, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I pay tithes of all that I got, on and on and on and on and on and on it goes. And... Uh, we see what happened in that whole instance, right? There was that, that sinner that was there beating on his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went home justified, right? And so we've got to be very careful as believers in Christ that we never look down upon others that we may think that have not meeting up to our standards, 
right? We've placed ourselves as the judge now, okay? Uh, we got to remember, we, we, are, we are saved by grace. God has been merciful to us. We don't deserve anything. And uh, we got to keep that in focus. So it's important for us to remember that. Now, so you say, well, if asceticism isn't the way to stopping this indulgence of the flesh, how can I stop the indulgence of the flesh? We'll actually deal a lot more with this next week, and Paul's going to kind of talk a little bit about this uh, here um, in verse number 20, and we'll look a little bit more about that next week. But let me just whet your appetite just a little bit, okay? Be godly by identifying with Christ. Look at the, the key phrase here, Colossians 2.20. If with Christ you died. Okay, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Paul's going to talk about this corresponding truth about this, about being raised up with Christ. Our life is now hidden with Christ in God. But for now, let's, let's just briefly consider this, what it means to be identified with Christ, okay, in his death. If you know Christ as your Savior, you were there in Him when He died on the cross. So that's what Scripture teaches us. The law of God had put a curse on the human race. Because we have all violated it repeatedly, we stand condemned under its penalty of death. But Jesus, born under the law, perfectly fulfilled it. His death met the just requirement of the law, and because we are in Him, we also died to the law. It no longer has power or jurisdiction over us anymore. It'd be kind of like this. Let's just say you lived in a country that you had to be indoors at 6 o'clock p.m. every single night. Okay, That was the law of that country, right? And then you move to America, and people stay out till 4 a.m. in the morning, okay? And uh, you're out walking around, and it's getting to be 5.59. Oh, man, I better hurry. Better hurry up. Get home. Better. And then you see people just casually, and you just, hey, hey, hold, hey, look, look. It's almost 6 o'clock. You guys need to get inside. And they say, what are you talking about? We live in a free country here. You don't got to get inside at 6 o'clock in the evening, okay? What happens many times as believers in Christ... We think, oh, I'm under the old jurisdiction of that law still. But God says, you've been set free. You're no longer under those penalties of those laws. And so we are free in Christ. We have died with Christ. Okay? And this is, this is what is so awesome about this is we identify not with the rule keeping in order to gain favor with God, we identify with Christ, and we have been set free in Jesus. And so because we are in him, we've died to the law, no longer has power or jurisdiction over us. Now, you may feel, uh, or, ex or you, may, you may look at this, you may say, well, I don't feel that way, I, I don't experience this truth, but it's a legal fact in God's sight. When you act upon it as true, it frees you from the cycle of sin and death under the law that, uh, and enables you through God's Spirit to live a life of holiness. That's all taught in Romans 8, 1 through 4. So we're going to look at this really a little bit more in depth next week about what it means to identify with Christ in his death. If you have died with Christ, I want you to consider 
the implications of that, that we have been set free and we don't have to live under this cycle of sin, of, of indulging in the flesh and trying to keep rules in order to keep that from happening. But let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.